Hey everyone, Sean Paul Ellis here from Saturday Morning Cartoons. Remember, that's morning with a U. Thank you for listening, and before we start today's show, we have to tell you about a special project that we've been working on, and you can check it out right now for free. Myself, SMC co-host Dave Trumbor, and friends of the show Allison Keen and Alex Kazanis have put together a comic for you called Death Jr., what is Death Jr.? Think of it as part Charles Schultz's Peanuts comic strip, South Park, and a lot of morbid humor. We've had a blast with this, and you can read a new comic strip every weekday in January by going to our Twitter, at Death Junior Comics, on the web, DeathJuniorComics.com, and you can even check out our current Instagram, which has been taken over with Death Junior this month, at Saturday Morning Cartoons. We hope you enjoy it and share the hell out of it. Pun intended. Hey everyone, Sean and Dave here from Saturday Morning Cartoons. We cannot start this week's show, absolutely cannot start this week's show, until we thank the following people who went to Patreon.com to sponsor this show. Derek Haynes. Alex Kazanis. Jack Connolly. Jonathan Renteria Elie. Bill Dixon. The wonderful Melanie Harker. Dr. Jason Woods. Oh, the fantastic Allison Keene. The all right Jamal Newman. The so-so John Helter. Battle Matt Fitness. The wonderful David Trumbor. And the one and only Sean Paul Ellis. Hey, out there, if you guys want to be on this list or just want to know what's coming up next week on the show, check out patreon.com slash Saturday Morning Cartoons for more details. And remember, that's morning with a U. Thank you so much for sponsoring us. Thank you so much for listening. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the weekly podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules some of the world's weirdest animated series. Coming to you from Arlen, Texas, I'll be your co-host, Dave Trumbor. Joining me as always, a purveyor of propane and propane accessories, it's Sean Paul Ellis. How's it going, bud? Uh, David, 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 I'm doing well, buddy. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that the, the working environment has shifted for you and you've got this new opportunity. How did you get into selling propane and propane accessories since like last week when last Ugh. we talked? Well, I'll tell you, uh, it's something that I feel very passionately about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that I could do it without the support and the help of friends. Friends um, like who? Uh, friends like a guest, special guest that we have at the show. This is Isabel Galbraith. She's a performer in Washington, D.C. Thank you, Isabel, for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank, thank you for... Yeah. Thank, thank you for helping me pivot into this new career. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I really support you. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think that it was going to be possible myself to be able to support just me on mm. propane and propane accessories, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of benefits and advantages to, mm-hmm. to getting into that career. Everybody needs it. Mm-hmm. You can sell the little Wagner, the little Wagner Jr. If, if I'm a little hesitant to invest mm. in like the crypto propane market, I'm not 100% sure how propane is mined, where it comes from. How would you get, how would you assuage my fears of getting into propane? Great, great, great question. First and foremost, this is within the first five minutes of the show and we have to let everybody know that we're gonna be ending the podcast soon and we're just doing a cryptocurrency podcast from here on out. Uh, these these idle threats that we have, one day when they come to fruition, people are gonna be like, who did not see that podcast coming? Uh, 
but yeah, you know, if you if you you know, you have to understand that the propane and propane accessories are a natural resource, mm-hmm. and you know, mining them is like mining anything else. You know, you it's a it's a supply and demand. Uh, market chain buzzword blockchain technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a clean burning fuel, um, and that's really important. Well, I am a hundred percent in. Yeah, look, I care. I care about a, a couple things. I care about mm-hmm. everybody on this show. Oh, all right, barbecues, right, and the ability to to have a hamburger, hot dog, veggie burger, whatever you choose, mm-hmm. uh, and have that in a clean, efficient way, mm-hmm. as well as also Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, because we've talked a lot about the destruction of Mother Earth in other cartoons that we've talked about and <laughs> Captain Planet. Uh, and so, you know, just uh, being able to, to understand that, you know, we have these limited resources. Guys, no way, shape, or form are we shutting down this podcast and doing a climate change podcast. I it's never going to happen. How often, and just in the last 60 seconds, how you've <laughs> swung from side to side. I can't even keep my head straight. Uh, However, aside from our mutual love of propane and propane accessories, Isabel, how, why bring King of the Hill to this show? What was it about this particular series that made you want to talk about it with us idiots for an hour? Uh, well, initially, I, I didn't watch it when it first aired. I wasn't into it. Um, just from seeing commercials, I thought it was about like kind of redneck hillbillies. I wasn't interested in that. I thought the faces looked ugly and unappealing. I was just like put off by the look of it. Um, you know, like Bill, he's kind of like an ugly frame and I don't know. So I, I was very, yeah, poor Bill, but a friend of mine in grad school who I had a huge crush on, uh, talked it up and <laughs> this guy, Dan was from new England. He was like a wasp and I'd never met someone like him. And he was an amazing poet. This was a MFA program. And so I trusted everything he said. And when he said he liked the show about the South, I was like, I can't believe it. Um, so I started watching it and it only took an episode or two before I fell in love with the whole Hill family and the show soon became very important to me. Like I, I started watching all the episodes. Um, I talked about it with all my friends and there wasn't even a part of grad school where I was kind of going through a depression and it just so happened that King of the Hill was being rerun at 10 a.m. and 1030 every weekday morning. And because I was in grad school, I had afternoon classes. So it was very hard to wake up, you know, being depressed. And I would make myself get up at 9.55 and go downstairs in my living room and watch two episodes back to back of King of the Hill. And it would literally pull me out of the depression because it was so sweet and so funny. And then I could get dressed and go to school. So <laughs> it really has been there for me in, in like a special way for a long time. That's awesome. That's a really nice story, actually. We, we rarely get to kind of dip into the reason that we started this show, this podcast to begin with. And it's it's partially because just nostalgia that's mm-hmm. fun we like mm-hmm. to revisit you know things we remember from our childhood or vaguely remember as like random toys that <laughs> mm-hmm. them. but when we do get to kind of dig into the, the fact that these are you know these are art forms yes. these are forms of entertainment but also art forms and they do impact people on their lives differently so thank you very much for sharing that story because yeah. it's not a it's not something that i expected and, and it's not something we get to talk about too often on the show so thank you for that you're welcome but awesome. sean buddy in case people aren't familiar with the show to begin with what do you got for him <laughs> oh buddy if you're not familiar with king of the hill <laughs> it is an animated uh, american sitcom created by mike judge and greg daniels that ran from january of 97 uh until may of 2010 on fox there's a total of 259 episodes which aired over the course of its 13 seasons. The series debuted on Fox Network as a mid-season replacement in 1997, quickly becoming a hit and one of Fox's longest-running series. In 2007, 
It was named by Time Magazine as one of the top 100 greatest television shows of all time. King of the Hill won two Emmy Awards and was nominated for seven. You know, King of the Hill was one of those things for me that I didn't, it was just always kind of there. I think I took it for granted a lot uh, as I was watching this kind of growing up. And I don't think I ever really paid attention to the awards that it racked up because it didn't seem to get the, uh, the publicity that like The Simpsons did. And it definitely didn't hit that kind of like cultural shift that family guy did it, it just right. it was like the it was like the stepson the stepchild of, of mm-hmm. the fox animated family mm-hmm. you know speaking if we, of family, yeah oh i was gonna say if we if we think about all the cartoons that were kind of competing for our attention and stuff that was yeah. on prime time especially fox i mean yeah. all three of these shows that you mentioned that's true simpsons king of the hill family guy all came out at that same time family guy was able to use that non-sequitur comedy device uh, of cutting to a joke right. to kind of allow mm-hmm. it to, to land with a punchline. The Simpsons, you know, while, you know, and, and I want to say that the family guy or family guy always felt very uh, over-exaggerated yeah. and, and unrealistic in a sense. The Simpsons had uh, sort of like a, a middle ground in between that where like they, there would be some cutaways, but for the most part, like when jokes would, would land, Everybody that was in the room when something happened were kind of living in that, uh, in that moment, and uh, you know. But you had you had crazy characters in The Simpsons, like you had these outlandish, crazy personalities that make the show so much fun to watch. But I also want to say that it was kind of very hard to relate sometimes because obviously the way they're animated, yeah. like you don't see yourself in that show. You know, I think King of the Hill is a little bit different because. This was maybe one of the first cartoons that like you could watch and it was regularly drawn people, you know, that uh, in some cases, as you had mentioned, Isabel, they didn't necessarily have the most flattering body types, (laughs) you know, they and they and they didn't look like uh, and they they but they looked like people. They looked like people that you knew, you know, uh, whether it was somebody passed on the street or like an aunt or an uncle or another family member. Like there was something that felt personal and relatable about all of the characters that were on the show. I'm in the same boat, Dave. I took the show for granted, and I, and I have the same opinion that Isabel did. The first time I watched this, I thought the it was kind of ugly, and I didn't like the design, but it wasn't until I was much older and I had watched some of these episodes that I actually really appreciated what was there for uh, King of the Hill. Yeah, absolutely, and we can talk a little bit about uh, sort of Mike Judge, and then I think uh, Greg Daniels, who gets less of the, the share, the lion's share of most of these things. It usually goes I'm sorry, Greg, Greg who? Yeah, exactly. Greg Daniels. <laughs> Uh, when you have two first names as your name, it's tough to keep track of you. Sorry, yeah, Greg. Yeah, come but, on, uh, Greg. Mike Judge. I mean, that's like a good, strong name. But, I mean, everybody knew him from Beavis and Butthead. And he's right. still obviously doing work today. But this was kind of one of those, whatever he learned with Beavis and Butthead, the style changed enough. Um, and Isabel, I don't know if you want to talk about that. I know you have some yeah. background on Judge yeah. and inspiration. Yeah. So he um, apparently way back in college used to do this bit with his college friend, kind of like you guys. Um where they would pretend to be two bubbas. That's like a term for like a good old Southern boy. Oh, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they would drink beer and pretend to be these two bubbas and just talk about the news. So that was kind of like the early seeds. Um, but then later, after Beavis and Butthead, he was living in Dallas and uh, he had a really nice neighborhood community where like everyone would help each other with projects. And apparently he spent a ton of time working on his fence and going to Home Depot and getting like help from neighbors. So when he got the idea for the show, he was just sketching and he drew four guys standing in front of a fence drinking beer 
it was literally his like view from his kitchen window and that was the initial seed for the show and that when we talk about the uh theme song that's the first image yeah yeah that's super cool that he pulled a lot of that stuff from his life i think even like silicon valley was based on like a very short Hmm. uh experience in in like it or or uh sort of computer science too go ahead john so if we don't know yeah king of the hill can you give us a synopsis for this dave absolutely so king of the hill centers on the hills a middle-class american family in the fictional city of arlen texas hank hills the ever responsible hard-working loyal disciplined and honest head of the family who works like we mentioned as an assistant manager at strickland propane (laughs) the series also features his wife peggy their son bobby the family dog ladybird along with uh, peggy's niece luann and hank's friends which we've briefly mentioned dale gribble bill dotrieve and Boomhauer. <laughs> you can't forget Boomhauer. There's a ton of other characters, though, too. Just when I was going through the like, just the wiki and reminding myself of all these other supporting characters that come in and out. I mean, there's a ton of cameos just in the episodes we watched, but there oh, are yeah. so many supporting characters that all, like, as soon as you read their your, their names, you're like, oh, I 100% remember them. Uh, and it's it's cool to see such a large cast of characters, which is, I think. I don't know. I think if I feel like it's closer to The Simpsons than it is Family Guy. Family Guy seems to have like you know characters that pop up, and they they're there to serve a specific joke, whereas in The Simpsons, you know, they're people that live in the city, and it feels the same in uh, in King of the Hill for me as far right. as fleshing out the kind of community that mm-hmm. everybody's in. So we've talked a little bit about uh, some of these characters. Uh, and we've talked, and you've kind of primed this up already for us, Isabel, is the idea of, of Mike Judge looking out of the window in his kitchen and seeing these four characters. So we really, I'm excited to get into this. I wanted to get your take on the theme song for King of the Hill and your your feelings, thoughts, and opinions. Yeah, so it's by the refreshments, I think. Yes. And um, it's got this like twangy country rock sound and... You know, it's it's not the style of music I listen to, but I think it suits the show really well. Um, and I really love the opening sequence that the theme song is set to. Um, so I guess I have more to say about the imagery than the song itself. Okay. Oh, sure. You can definitely feel free oh, to expand about- on that. Because we, when, we, when we say theme song, it's kind of like the intro, right? Oh, okay. So we talk about the intro both from a musical standpoint and a, and a visual, too. Yeah, so the intro um, is cool because it's just set in the alley and it shows basically everyday life in the alley. And... Like you guys already mentioned, uh, Mike Judge was very big on pulling from reality and everyday life. Uh, apparently, he was also influenced by Harvey Picar, and so that, I guess that's another person who draws from the world around him. Hmm. So yeah, in the theme song intro, we get to see uh, like Luann hop on Buckley's motorcycle and ride off. We get to see Bobby <laughs> come do a bunch of circles on his bike. Um, and probably my very favorite moment is at the end, Peggy comes out carrying the trash, and written on the trash bag is Mike Judge Greg Daniels. And who? I just think Greg it's who? such... <laughs> <laughs> Poor Greg. Everyone knows Greg Daniels. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm kidding. Um, no, but he... I think it's such a humble move to put your names on the trash bag. Yeah. That was a, was a cute <laughs> element. I mean, that, but that just goes to show, like, there are so many different elements that could just sneak by you. Because the way that they put this thing together, it's not like any other uh, intro that we've ever talked about on this show. Mm. And honestly, it's not really like anything that we've we've really seen before. Because it's mm. sort of a time lapse right Mm -hmm. so on one level it's hilarious because you've got these four guys who are hank and his buddies Mm -hmm. and literally from sun up to sundown they're just standing in front of their fence drinking beers uh i love the fact that they even like to keep it realistic 
after a couple of hours, they're like, well, we just ran out of these beers. So he goes and gets like an entire case full and there's like yeah. a pyramid I of beer. I never noticed that. I, I just paid super close attention to be like, oh, I've seen this so many times, but I've never really like watched what is happening. And I think I might be wrong with this because I haven't checked, but I think as the seasons went on, I think they they reworked the intro to like mm. bring in other characters and, and oh. other moments and things like that. I could be wrong. But no, I that sounds that's right. They did. Um, I just really loved that aspect of it. And then for me, at the end of the whole thing, the family kind of comes together. And it's sort of like, if you know Grant Wood's very famous painting, American Gothic. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure, my. Like, yeah. Did I steal that from you? You, you 100% hit it on the head exactly I what I wanted. That. It's perfect. Yeah. I, I just love that kind of like deadpan expression. He's just kind of like staring off into nothing. He's not really smiling. He's not yeah. frowning. He's just there. And the fact that they frame them, the, the three Hill family members, they frame them just like that painting. And then it, you know, cuts right into the show. Uh, it was just, it was great. And that, that twangy kind of music with no lyrics, with no roll call, with no clips, no nothing, you know 100% what you're watching from the get-go. So mm-hmm. it was great. Go ahead, Sean, if there's anything left for you. No, no. I, you know, I, I love the fact that this is, we talk about this a lot, you know, whether it's dedicated animation, recycled animation from an episode, or uh, a hybrid in between the two. Uh, and and I, I have... I love being able to pick apart like the the music, the yeah. visuals, as well as also the lyrics. This is great because instead of having three things to pick apart, it's really just the music and the visuals. And I yeah. think we've done a great job of discussing the visuals. The music here is, I think, the real winner. And you're mm. correct. It is the refreshments. Right. And it's a song that's called Yahoo's and Triangles. Huh. Um, and there's there's evidently one version of this that has cowbell that's in it. And there's one version that does not. Ooh, I like it. Uh, they also, I guess, I believe that they did a different one for a Christmas special uh, I that they that. did With as like well. With like jingle bells instead of a cowbell maybe? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if anybody, uh, there was a, a, a song that the refreshments did in the 90s. And I loved them as a band. They did a, a song that was on the radio a lot called Banditos. Uh, that was fantastic. And and you're spot on with saying that it ends with this perfect American Gothic of this family that you're about to get into. And so uh, to get into this family, to know and to love them, since we've talked about kind of particularly how relatable and yet also ugly some of this animation is, uh, I wanted to turn this over, Isabel, for your opinion on some of this this animation style that we, we were presented with. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw, I watched a little YouTube video about Mike Judge and it showed him drawing like just in pencil the sketches for the main characters. Um, so I think it's cool that he drew it. And uh, I like the color palette a lot. I don't know if you guys noticed, but it's it's very earth tones. Yeah, and I think we see it in the intro too, but like, because um, you mentioned the sun, you know, rising and setting yeah. over the course of the day. And there's just a lot of pretty background color. It's very green. It's very yellow and brown. Um, and then for the people themselves, like you already mentioned, they're drawn realistically. I, I did read that they made Peggy a little better looking between season one and season two, but it's subtle. I, I, you know, you can tell when you watch the episodes back to back, but, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, what did, what did they do to Peggy? Yeah. What happened to poor Peggy? I think they just made her facial features a little more feminine, maybe. I mean, okay. one cool thing about Peggy is that she's like a big, tall woman with yeah. huge feet, like size 11 feet. And that, <laughs> that's a plot point in a couple of the episodes. Um, so, yeah, she's like, a you know, a solidly built lady. Yeah. And then 
Hank is kind of big and tall. And then Bobby is such a little like, you know, he's like a dumpling or something. He is a dumpling. <laughs> That's a perfect description. I was going to say doughboy, but essentially yeah. he's a cooked little dumpling boy. We've had, we've had so many opportunities over the last couple of weeks, where we were, especially this year, where we've related people to what food shapes and oh, really? they yeah, look like. So dumpling is spot on. It's perfect. Hank is like a giant T-bone. <laughs> Bobby's a dumpling. That's where I'll and stop. I, yeah, that's where I'm going to stop. That's where I'm going to end. <laughs> And and Bill is just a like a stack of pudding. Oh yes, stack of pudding. Stack of pudding. <laughs> Dave, what about, what what about John on? Redcorn? What kind of oh, food? Oh, he's is that? handsome. Uh, yeah, he's just a maze. Yikes! See, and that's the thing. <laughs> what? Though, like, <laughs> the main characters are drawn to be very just like relatable, recognizable, kind of middle class, blue collar mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. They're all they're all a little kind of goofy looking, but also very just kind of plain. Like you can recognize each of them. Like, I love the fact that Boomhauer, he always has his, like, kind of blonde crew cut, but he also has, like, a tan thing going on. So mm-hmm. sometimes he's just, like, sh- shows up in his underwear, and he's <laughs> got two different skin tones to show that he's tanning. Um, everybody's got a distinct look. But unless it's, like, a John Redcorn, uh, they're not attractive. They're just mm-hmm. kind of, like, regular-looking people. However, contrast that with something like Beavis and Butthead, where those two main characters were, like, so, you know, uh, over-exaggerated features massive heads tiny little mm. necks skinny mm-hmm. little bodies but just because like so much of that expression was done in their faces and also because that was just like his style of the of the early mid 90s at the time the the fact that you know commenters have even called out the fact that all the characters have five fingers instead of four like every other cartoon show ever just yeah. those little details i thought was really neat because you were essentially you get a note from the animation style that you're watching you're almost watching a live action show play out. You're watching hmm. a drama with, with comedic elements play out like a sitcom. It just happens to be animated. So it's not quite as zany or sort of unrealistic as The Simpsons or Family Guy, but it's also still a cartoon. So there's, there's still some room that they can play with. I, I just thought the animation style perfectly suited the story that they were trying to tell. And then real quick, I don't really know how else to tie this in, so I'll, I'll put it here, but... Animation styles also reflect the kind of pacing of these cartoons that we watch, right? So if you want a, if you want a quick, frenetic scene, the animation style has to kind of reflect that. For King of the Hill, everything is very relatively slow. It's calm. Yeah. It's focused. It's not frenetic or crazy or like high energy. Everybody just kind of like takes their time. It lets jokes develop. It lets personal relationships develop. And it's very character focused. And that you only can do that and pull that off if you have strong writing behind it. Because right. people aren't going to tune in for the animation. People aren't going to tune in to like watch essentially an animated sitcom unless the characters are strong and the writing behind it is strong as well. And I I'll 100% agree with that point, Dave. Because I I will say you know having been somebody who watched it when it was on television. And, and didn't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Watching it now, I, I'm blown away by how good the writing is. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's frightening. There are small jokes that were embedded in these that we'll talk about during some of these episodes where I, I was like, oh my God, that, I can't believe that they got away with that. Or that was a real smart quip yeah. that, yes. they, that they, they threw in there that I would have never have gotten, you know, when this came out in, in 97, 98, I, you know, I was 17, 18 years old. I, I would, have never, would have never picked that up. You know, well, or I think it, that's partially because the satire is so strong. Yeah. You know, it's like a real satire, but it's easy to miss that too, especially when you're younger. Right. And I, I want to say to your point, Dave, about the the expression for Beavis and Butthead, mm-hmm. 
because uh, I I remember watching the original Liquid Television okay. where Beavis and Butthead with their frog baseball sketch Me too. like popped on the air, and I was like, oh my god, like this seems like the '90s guide to being a sociopath. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> and, and this seems this seems terrible that we're watching this thing. But it was also, you know, I think about all the cartoons that we had that were back at that time. Like Warner Brothers, Merry Melodies have been violent forever, but because it's anthropomorphized, we kind of take it for granted, and we're just like, oh, well, they're not real humans that are blowing each other up and shooting themselves in the face with a shotgun, right. except for the exception of like Yosemite Sam and Elmer Fudd. Yeah, but even they are exaggerated. Exactly, you know. And then we we look at some of the stuff that was on Liquid Television on MTV at that time. And like for, for Aeon Flux, you're just like, well, these people are in the future. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're still animated. But they're in the future. They're also and grossly so, anorexic. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so these, these people have, you know, uh, this weird body image that I'm never yeah. going to be able to hold, no hold up can. to. It's, it's no. just like a skeleton wrapped with some skin. <laughs> like the fact that they can move is a yeah. mystery in some cases. And so you, you have all these things. And so then to, to kind of see this Beavis and Butthead that's a little bit more humanized and transition from the the facial features and the reactions that Beavis and Butthead have over to King of the Hill, I think a lot of those same reactions uh, still pull from the Beavis and Butthead with that focused, uh, you know, kind of stare that Hank has when Bobby does something and it's and the camera just lingers on his face for a minute where it's 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 Hank just staring at his son in amazement. And he's like, oh, you know, and and that is like that is beautiful. That is beautiful to watch. Yeah, that's one of my favorite. Every episode has at least one moment where Hank goes, and his face does that exact thing. And I look for it in every episode, and it's always there. It's it's really, I will say this. I think one of the reasons that I got back into King of the Hill is because uh, I had some coworkers that were quoting it a lot. And so we had somebody on our team that was named Bobby. And so there was inevitably always that like, dang it, Bobby. You know, and so like everybody would start. So everybody would start quoting it. And so it became something that came back within the last two years into my zeitgeist, my personal zeitgeist. And I was like, oh, maybe I should seek out and check out some more of this. So awesome. What's awesome funny to kind about of have this all come full circle. It used to be one of those things like when it was on in the late 90s. I remember just like quoting that all the time. Like people do. I mean, you just like mm-hmm. you, you just held on to those quotes and you just said them at funny times because they were hilarious. And and yeah. you got to like put on a fake southern accent. You got to sound kind of goofy. And especially everybody had a boom hour, right? Uh-huh. So everybody had a boom hour. <laughs> yeah. You just say things as fast and mumble through it as fast as you possibly could. Yeah. I love that as you're even saying everybody has a boom hour. You're eye rolling your own comment. Everybody you're has so- a boom hour. Oh, everybody's got a boom hour. <laughs> but it was weird because it, it was like that arrived just before that was more socially acceptable, at least the way it felt for, for me, before it was more socially acceptable to like do that. Because Family Guy made it very much a focus of their humor. Right. Everything was a reference. Everything was mm-hmm. a pop culture reference. Even when they were self-referential, that was part of their shtick. Like that was the thing. Not so much about like character relationships or, or arcs that were carried over either mm-hmm. within an episode or within a season. But King of the Hill was obviously more mature than that. So... The fact that you would like quote things and share those quotes kind of that kind of fell away. But I do love right. the fact that like you can watch it and those things are still just as like drop dead funny today as they mm-hmm. were 20 years ago, which is insane to me. 20 mm-hmm. years ago. So we've, we've talked a lot about these characters. Yeah. So I kind of want to get in yeah, and yeah. I, I kind of want to focus specifically on the Hill family. We have, sure. we have Hank, Bobby, Peggy, and Luann that are under the, under the one roof together, as well as also Ladybird. 
Thank you. And so, uh, Isabel, is there yes. anybody in particular? <laughs> is there anybody in particular that uh, in this Hill House that you you identified a favorite character or characters? It's hard to pick because I love all four. Um, I mean, Peggy stands out to me because uh, she. I don't think there's another character like her on many other shows. Like her personality is uh, very unique. She's wildly overconfident and that just leads to so much humor you know she thinks she can do everything uh she thinks every all her thoughts are fantastic and that she's the best at everything and it's just i cannot think of one other character on tv right now who has anywhere near that level of confidence um so i really like peggy a lot and she's kind of like the perfect spouse for hank and she's a good mother to bobby and She's a great substitute teacher and she plays softball and I don't know, she, uh, I really like her. And then I also love Luann and she's, you know, not as essential as Hank and Bobby, but, um, uh, when I watched that YouTube piece about King of the Hill, they interviewed Brittany Murphy, who does her voice, sadly, um, mm. you know, she's passed away. Uh, but she said that when she, what? <laughs> oh, Sean, how do we oh, tell you? <laughs> We'll talk later. Okay. <laughs> um, but she said that when she did Luann's voice, she would play her from um, the brightest corner of her brain. And I thought that was a cool description because Luann is very sweet, very positive, very kind of innocent and naive um, and comes from a troubled home. Like the backstory is that her parents had like a violent fight and got sent to jail. And that's why she had to come live with Hank and Peggy. They were She was living in a trailer home with her parents before. Um, but she has a lot of like cool arcs throughout the show, going to beauty school and things like that. So I think, uh, yeah, Peggy and Luann are, are favorites of mine. And I love Luann's character. And now I feel like a real asshole for having a reaction <laughs> to the news that I obviously knew about. Oh, so no. it's very, it's very, it's <laughs> very sad to, yeah, <laughs> to hear this news. Uh, so anybody, Dave, that you identified within the Hill House? You know, what's interesting about the Hill family members is that you can identify with like bits and pieces of each of them, right? Because they're mm -hmm. so well drawn. And I don't mean that like, like literally like on the on the screen, but I mean, like well drawn as far as their development, they've got so many strong traits that show through like you could emulate to be like Hank. But for yeah. the most part, he kind of doesn't really understand you know the kids the kids these days and he doesn't yes. understand like the the modern culture and he doesn't he's very old fashioned he's very kind of set in his ways and it takes him a while and multiple you know multiple outreach <laughs> attempts from his family members to sort of like you know get him to see a thing and to get him to see uh mistakes that he's made or missteps that he's he's taken through no fault of his own he's just doing the best that he can but just not quite with it most of the time. Mm -hmm. and, and I can see myself in Hank a lot, for better or worse. Go ahead, John, what were you going to say? It, it really feels like a majority of this show is uh, the realization and the understanding of a white man in society. Yeah. And it, it's, there, there's so many parts of this where, you know, I, look, obviously, if we're talking about this, we have to talk about a lot of things that are in the news. And I, I don't want to gloss over any of the, the socio-political climate that we're in right now uh, with everything going on, especially in the United States, uh, there's a lot of parts in this where <laughs> Hank has to be called out for being wrong. Yeah. And like, and he does it and it's a learning experience yes. for him. And he, he begins to adapt and kind mm -hmm. of understand some of these things. And it's, it's interesting to see with this character, how he sort of tackles these things. And, and, 
and moves away in some cases from that that machismo or that has to be right mentality to to understanding and actually having empathy for other people that are around him and that that blew my mind with especially with the two episodes that we watched right. tonight mm-hmm. this is so prevalent in these episodes I was blown away. I was really a little bit blown away with everything that happened. Yeah, and interestingly, like even though there, I would say a majority of episodes where Hank has to kind of learn to adapt to the modern world, there's also quite a few where he ends up being the old-fashioned voice of reason right. in today's cro- like crazy modern world. <laughs> and a lot of times, I think Mike Judge is taking on satirically like our very PC culture. You know, that kind of comes under scrutiny in a few episodes. Or like there's one where the neighbors want to ban Halloween and Hank has to stand up for Halloween. Or there was one where Bobby wanted to be a Husky boys model and Hank had to be the one to say, absolutely not. You're going to get made fun of. And it was his old fashioned sensibility and like voice of reason that saved Bobby. So sometimes Hank is wrong, but sometimes Hank is right. And I like that. Or sometimes it it ends up being a more complex kind of right, kind of wrong. Like the episode about the Alamo is a really good one because he's obviously Hank loves the Alamo's history and cares about it. But Bobby's textbook is retelling the Alamo's history in a more progressive way. And they, you know, the whole episode is about that. So mm. it's interesting. So we, we, we've talked a little bit about Luann and Peggy and, and Hank. I, I can't really proceed in, 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 uh, without talking about Bobby. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I related <laughs> to him probably the most. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> no, come on, guys. <laughs> Everyone can see that. Because I'm husky. <laughs> uh, and boy. we have. And we have probably the same amount of hair. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, well, okay, so you guys can make fun of me, but I can't make fun of myself and be self-deprecating. Oh my god, you said the same amount of hair. It reminded me of the episode where Bobby what was it and Joseph, right? Where, yeah, his friend Joseph. Yeah. Where Joseph starts getting the like the mustache, mustache comes in and he has like mustache envy. Okay, that's yes, what I to say. that's a great episode. Yeah. I'm, like getting all these like like sparks of neurons are firing that yes. haven't been used in 20 years. Go ahead. <laughs> I think that I related the most to Bobby for those those instances and those moments where something is happening and he's almost able to, in a light switch fashion, kind of turn off what he's caring about and focus on something else. Yeah. Like He can sometimes have a very binary personality and his dad picks it up in or perceives it in a way where Hank thinks that he, he lacks focus. He doesn't really understand or he's got too much that's going on or there's too much input you know for this kid that he's sort of all over the place and i I can understand and i can appreciate that um because that is that's that's hard to have and you know all those points of of input and communication that's coming in and still process and figure things out uh i mean you think that was bad in 1997 welcome to 2018 (laughs) this is the the worst let me let me ask you this quick real quick would you want to see a modern king of the hill reboot maybe like a next generation kind of thing maybe bobby's grown up and he's 20 years older this is just a quick one-off i would like to see exactly what you said where it's bobby starting a family and him in in arlen texas and and having a family and having like one or two children it's him adapting to be a dad with a wife Interesting. and it would be great if he had a son who ended up being more like hank like into oh, football like and then he would have to deal with like Ooh. You're nothing like me. You're like my dad. <laughs> it would be. It would be like what was it? Family ties with Michael J. Fox is yeah. like the uber conservative. Exactly. One-off son. Yeah. Yes. That'd be nice. Yeah. And honestly, That'd... Mike Judge is the type of person that, with any of the shows that he's done or movies that he's done, you could say he's extreme to one way or the other. But honestly, if you look at his body of work, he's he's kind of middle of the road. He's very balanced as far right. as, you know, uh, something like Idiocracy. He'll take two extremes, but at the yeah. same time. 
he's playing both sides of the the alley there. So yes, yeah, that was just my quick one-off question. Go ahead, Sean. No, 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 great. Derail you. So I mean, we talked about everybody now that's inside the Hill House. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about these friends. Oh, the God. the HBO's entourage for Hank oh, Hill. No. So I want to do gonna, the yeah yeah scream. Gonna, nope, I'm not nope. even gonna. Not, Dave, could you give it to me once? I'm gonna veto it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got we've got Dale, we've got Bill. Uh, and we have Boomhauer. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody in particular that you guys are, are latching onto as well? Bill. I love Bill. He's Aww. my favorite of the three. I don't really like Dale that much because his whole deal, well, he's a conspiracy theorist, right? And yeah. that just doesn't resonate with me. I, I find all of his skepticism kind of annoying. And he gets into these messes that Hank has to bail him out of. And I get irritated with Dale on behalf of Hank. Um, and then Boomhauer is just kind of for fun. But Bill has so much heart. You know, he was left by his wife, Lenore, which must be a Poe reference. And uh, and he's just sad and lonely. And yet, like you said earlier, Dave, he's still like going through his day and doing his best. And he works as a barber at the army. And he apparently when he was going through his rough divorce, um, all the guys, in the, you know, Hank and uh, Dale and Boomhauer, they all worked on a car together. And that got Bill through his divorce. And I yeah. thought that was they just mentioned that in some episode as backstory. And I thought that was so sweet. I love this trio of, of people because it, it allows the Hill family to kind of like, you can break out the characters a little bit and you can have slightly more exaggerated characters that have like one specific thing that they're known for, whether it's being super like a sad sack or whether mm-hmm. it's being like con- crazy conspiracy nut or whether it's being just like a fast talking lady. <laughs> That's what those guys are. And they, they add a lot of color to it. I love Bill because he is so emotionally damaged and it's such a sad story every time he's on the screen and he has such sad dialogue that's just he's he's almost like the little you know the little gray cloud that kind of floats over sometimes but he's part of the team anyway he reminds me if you guys watch bob's burgers yes he reminds me of teddy 100 percent. oh yeah he's 100 percent. Like you're right character and, I love and if him. you and if you watch winnie the pooh he reminds me of Eeyore. Eeyore. Also, Eeyore. I'm just <laughs> that. Yes. but at the same time and this is this is kind of counter to what isabel said I love Dale because he is so frustrating and because I <laughs> see that exact same character in many of my family members. Oh. Mm. And it's just like, I wanted to like sit them down, watch the show <laughs> and be like, do you hear what this cartoon man is saying? Do you hear how insane it sounds? Because that's the same thing you were saying at Thanksgiving dinner. Like, this is insane. This is You're you. insane. Please wake up. And then, and then real quick, Boomhauer is just great because he's kind of just like a wild card that comes in there at the end. And I don't know if he has any like, stronger arcs throughout the series if you get to learn more about him or not but eh, as far as like Boomhauer being the Kramer of this group I'm I'm a fan yeah yeah I I feel I, I mean I, I love all the points that you guys are making I think the the big thing for me and Dave I'm kind of siding with you on yeah. on the Dale character yeah. is that uh, conspiracy theorists in, in like entice me so much because it's it's a way of thinking that I'm not familiar with. Right. Mm. I think in this trio, I think I relate the most to Bill yeah. in some facets. Me too. And so it's it's really hard to watch some of the heartbreak that he yeah. goes through and not internalize or like just like feel so sad for this character. Yeah. But he, he ends up being so upbeat. Yes. And and and, and the Boomhauer character is great. I just think it's one of those things where, you know, like you said, Dave, everybody has a Boomhauer impression. <laughs> You know, and it's it's fun, but I think Dale, Dale, and and I say this because I know 
the Dale character has so many additional plot oh, yeah. points oh, yeah. that he goes through. Like you get so much of Dale. So if you are investing in a character that is in this trio, Dale is the guy that's going to have a shit ton of arcs. Yeah. So much is going to happen uh, to this character, especially with John Redcorn and his wife and, and, and their son. And so like all of these things that are happening are bananas to watch. And it's just, we, we got a little bit of a taste of it. Yeah. For the episodes that we watched, uh, especially about the the URL or where he found certain oh resources God. on the internet, oh, yeah. and for some reason it, it's it's that alone. And I, I will say this: it, it Dale Gribble yeah. kills me for the weird comments that he makes about subtle sexuality. Oh, and yes. there's huh. something that is so because While these smoking things, a cigarette like just <laughs> round yeah. muscular buttocks. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that line. Scientifically proven that women like a, a round muscular buttocks, so I'm gonna look for a round muscular buttocks. Exactly. <sighs> the other like, guys say nothing. Yeah, it, it's but it's said with such it's said with in such earnest. Yeah, yeah. And, like it's and, a fact. And, like this and, is, a, this no, is a solid concrete fact. Yeah. And no sexuality no, no. is involved in that Zero. statement, True. but it's such a great line to hear of just like he he in this group he's like the man's man, you know, but then he, yeah. he makes these comments sometimes that you're just like, who are you? And so that, that alone keeps me guessing on his character and just keeps me waiting for him to make a stupid comment. Or even the part where we had tonight where like the, like the spiritual meditation that he has yeah. and like those moments where I'm just like, Oh, like I, I see myself in all three of these characters. Exactly. And, and again, like that just like, it's not because of the animation. It's because of the strong writing. Like we keep going back to the strong writing for this show. Like it, it, it becomes more and more apparent, like the ability to self-identify within each one of these personas. Mm-hmm. It's because of the strong writing. And I have to say real quick, and we'll, we'll get into the plot here in a second. Cause we're kind of like leaning into that anyway. But the fact that like the three of these guys all kind of like work together to play off of each other. So if Dale says something completely insane about a conspiracy theory in order to unweird that, Boomhauer immediately comes in. He's like, yeah, that dang old internet, man. You just click, 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 and then naked ladies, boom. It's just like, all right, that was a Boomhauer. And then Bill will come in and just say something sad, like, yeah, I used to, my wife and I used to be on the internet. And then there's just like a really sad silence, and then it clicks to the next thing. So these guys work as like a really good trio. Yeah, and I, um, again, in this YouTube video I watched, it said that they function as a Greek chorus. Mm. So they're kind of oh, like the thing that, classic. you know, Oh, yeah, damn. and so if like Hank has an issue with Bobby, they'll each comment on it in their own way, you know, through their own lens, and you kind of get to hear the Greek chorus thoughts. That Mike Judge, man, smart guy, right? Greg Daniels, Genius. Eh, I don't know. So <laughs> I'm sorry, Greg who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's. Uh, Dave's right. We've been leaning into some of the the plot yes. for for some of these episodes, and so I want to start out. So tonight, uh, we watched two two particular episodes. Uh, we watched season one, episode four, called Hank's Got the Willies. And we watched, yeah, I know. And season one, episode five, Luann's Saga. And so let's start tonight with episode four, Hank's Got the Willies. So, Isabel, mm-hmm. were there any any big moments, anything that, like, when you watched this show again, yeah. that you were like, oh, this, this resonated with me. These were my favorite moments. Well, for me, the theme of the show is what stuck out because the theme of this episode is role models, you know, and I think that's like an important thing to talk about that people don't in this day and age talk about very much. Like, 
I think if I surveyed my friends, it, people wouldn't have like a role model at the tip of their tongue. Um, so I really liked that, you know, Hank has his role model, Willie Nelson. And then throughout this episode, you know, Bobby's looking for his role model and we find out who it is. But like, to me, that theme was really special. And it really also highlighted um, the dynamic between Hank and Bobby, which is so key. I, I think sometimes what, I, I agree with you in saying that I don't think a lot of people have role models these days. I think what we end up doing in like modern as modern professionals i think that we sometimes confuse that and we say mentors oh. uh in a sense and so people are just like oh this person's my mentor uh, like you know i'm i'm getting counsel and career advice from those things but but that's just one facet of your life you know is your professional career right. who you are as a good person mm-hmm. hopefully fingers crossed everybody <laughs> listening and so <laughs> You know, you, you, you want to make sure that you're a good person. And so there are a lot of real interesting, admirable qualities that Hank has picked up on from Willie Nelson. <laughs> I say that as a question, 100%. It's definitely 100% of a question. <laughs> for, for me, though, and this kind of goes off of what Isabel was saying, and, and Sean, a little bit of what you were saying, too, but it's, it's the writing of this particular episode that was so strong to me. And obviously that ties into the plot as well, but you get... In sitcoms and in, in hour-long dramas, you get A, B, and C plots, right? So you've got the A between your lead characters, that conflict at the beginning resolved by the end. B is kind of like, eh, it's kind of, B and C are kind of like side plots, backup things. Sometimes they're things that are like a longer arc that takes more multiple episodes to go. So mm-hmm. I loved, on the forefront, the f- sort of father-son relationship between uh, Hank and Bobby that at first was kind of like, they're both talking two completely different languages neither one of them knows what the other one is doing but that was clarified in such a sweet and and touching way by the end of this episode that was really well done at the same time you've got peggy who's feeling some frustration and even a little bit of jealousy about hank's affections for an inanimate object (laughs) that she just goes around town man and she's got a whole montage uh, dedicated to this she goes i love that montage do you know what love means (laughs) she's like well hank i love my family he's like yeah exactly Exactly. now you're getting it now you're getting it (laughs) but there's like a whole section of it like devoted to just peggy being frustrated to the point that she's like buying cheap guitars and smashing them yes and, and and showing off her athletic skills to get her frustrations out Yes. But at the end, they tie that back in, too. And, and they tie it into the plot in a meaningful way that wasn't just like a, a throwaway thing. And then on top of that, and you didn't need to do this. No other cartoon in their right mind does this. They even have a side plot for Luann, which yeah. has nothing to do with this episode. Luann <laughs> is just kind of like there in the background. <clears throat> but it, it ties into the fact that she's going to beauty school. And she's struggling a little bit. And she needs more practice. And she really struggles with certain things like the, the braids braiding <laughs> and i love that that's like a difficult family issue for them yeah. <laughs> like no one in their family can everyone braid. knows the platters can't braid exactly. yeah. <laughs> but, then, but then the fact that that even ties into like one of the last scenes or moments in the entire episode was killer for me the fact that that was tied in at the end with willie nelson as i forgot like a, how it like, tied in did she braid his hair she's yeah braiding willie's hair oh, and he even right. says that's a perfect braid there luann so thank you so much for doing it. Like, i'm just like there was no reason like, to throw that in but it was great like maybe next time, just don't use so much of the the glitter, the glitter, glitter. spray at the very <laughs> end. That's yeah. right. So you know, Dave, you're 100 percent right. Like there are so many, so many narrative threads that are going through this entire episode. The three main ones that you're talking about, yeah. and they all have a payoff. Yeah, they, they're all <laughs> they tied all up have a payoff in 22 minutes. Like it's insane. Yeah, yeah. The show packs a lot of action in, even though it's character based. Like one of the things I love it is it doesn't draw stuff out. You right. know, it's just kind of like 
you know, Bobby's feeling bad about what he did. So he takes that guitar and hops on his bike and drives off to find Willie Nelson, you know, and it's just, uh, yeah. Uh, but they even take moments in that, like while he's doing that, he still screws up. He like hits a rock or something and <laughs> like flies off his bike and falls on the guitar. Yep. Busting again <laughs> what was just fixed for a lot of money probably just a few minutes earlier. So yep. I love that they take the moments to like show that it's not like, it's not super sappy like, oh, he feels bad and he want to make his, his dad feel good. So he's going to do this thing that's going to be great. It's like, no, he still screws up along the way, but he's trying mm-hmm. his best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, there was this weird sense of the relationship between Peggy and Hank. Mm. You know, the, this this main plot of, of him not understanding. I mean, because presumably they've been together for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, you know, but him just sort of, I guess, taking for granted the relationship that he has with his wife and and not either understanding or respecting or acknowledging all the, the intricacies of that relationship right. and this, this focus on this inanimate object, you know? And, which, by and, the way, is a guitar. We should yeah, it's, it's a guitar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, which he's named Betsy. Yeah. It does have a woman's name. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we, get these, we get these moments where, you know, as I mentioned, like he's saying, like, you know, Peggy, do you know what love is? And they hang on Peggy's side eye yeah. as she's <laughs> doing the dishes. Yeah. With Carlos. <laughs> her sponge, Carlos yeah, Carlos her, her like, sponge. Broke, yeah. uh, and so, but it's just such a great moment because, like, you're you're listening. Hank is out of frame. You're listening to Hank, you know, give this missive about what love is, and you see her just side eye the shit out of him, <laughs> and 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 she's not moving. But like again, like the the ability to frame some of these shots and hang on this inaction becomes the action, and to just hang on that shot for so long is so rewarding to like I had to I had to back up the video to watch it a second time because I was like oh holy shit like this is this is powerful yeah and what I think it's like show don't tell you know like I get frustrated when I watch tv shows and they're like I'm angry I'm sad they're just like telling you but like when Peggy goes outside and starts pitching softballs to Luann you can tell she's mad because she's throwing mad and it reminds me of like what they say in improv of like try to make it physical and try to like show your emotions through actions because it's more fun to watch. And, you know, I think King of the Hill does that constantly. Yeah. She does a great, Peggy does a great job as a character of being affected by everything that's around her that has happened and translating that into those actions. However small or minute they are where she's, she's pitching softball with Luann to where she's, she's complaining about stuff while she's getting her oil changed to where she's at a yard sale buying a, an old guitar and then smashing it in front of this woman. Like th- these are just great random asides that you're just like, oh, like she. You can clearly tell by the end of this episode that she is furious. But what's so mm-hmm. great about that though, too, is that what she's saying does not match up with what she's doing most of the time because oh, she's she's hmm. saying things to be like, oh, you know, I love my family, and she's she's basically trying to like in a sort of passive aggressive way get through to hank like you're not quite catching on here dude like you need to you need to pay attention without ever directly coming out and saying that but like all of her actions are a hundred percent letting the viewers know what's going on 
And at the end of the episode, when she's furious, like the steam has built up and she's ready to explode. Yeah. That's when she hears him playing um, the song Peg a Leg, yeah. uh, which is, uh, it made me laugh so hard because it's a Buddy Holly ripoff, right? Yeah, like, Peggy Sue. Yeah. Right, Peggy Sue. And at the end, he trails <laughs> off and he goes, and the rest is a Buddy Holly riff. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, the whole thing was a Buddy Holly riff. <laughs> but speaking of riffs, there's so many different things that they riff on in this one particular episode. And, and some things I thought they were going to like, okay, so at the beginning, essentially Bobby, Bobby is doing all kinds of stuff with like Hank's belongings. Yeah. That is essentially like pissing Hank off. At first he's playing his his beloved guitar Betsy with like a piece of old cheese <laughs> because he saw his his comedian <laughs> idol Celery Head, which if you guys didn't grow up in the late nineties, early two thousands, obviously carrot top. Hey Dave, yeah. did you did you know that last year Celery Head made three million dollars? <laughs> this these that's days, impossible. Be like, Man, that's not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> but then you'd be like Oh, but so and so on Twitch made like forty million dollars last year. I'd be like, yeah, that that kind of adds up. Checks out. That sounds right. Unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I love it because they didn't follow that that very kind of easy joke too far. Hmm. They name mm-hmm. dropped it a couple of times. Another kid in town also was like, oh, Celery Head. Like, yeah, I love that guy. But that's <laughs> it. Like, they didn't follow. That. I didn't know if they were gonna go to like a Celery Head concert. I didn't know if Bobby was gonna like want to become the next Celery Head. Like, they steered clear of that, which was good. So they like name drop something. They made a reference. You got your laugh out of it, but then they went in a completely different direction. But if you guys want to talk about some of the other cameos, like who else popped up that you enjoyed in this episode? Oh, I loved seeing Bob Dylan talk to Boomhauer at the party, you know, like (laughs) just picking the person with the most mumbly voice and having them talk to each other was so great. I love that. Uh, Peggy, uh... Peggy almost went to Mexico with Dennis Hopper. Right, right. right. Who was the character that somebody pushed out of the way and said, uh, Rooster Boy. That well, was loud. I love, I love it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Got it. Okay. So again, you like watching this today. You're if you're you know if you were born two thousand or later. Sorry, kids, but you're probably gonna <laughs> have to dig deep for these. But Lyle Lovett was another big like country star of the '90s. But he was known for kind of the just like massive hairdo, pompadour that he had. hair, mm-hmm. very much. Again, Kramer. I don't know why I've referenced Kramer multiple times, but that kind of like Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, pompadour hair. Yeah. Uh, so that was a weird thing to throw in. The thing that killed me. The, the one line that absolutely killed me was both a reference and just like a funny thing between Hank and Bobby where at this point, Bobby has like gone to, to apologize to Willie Nelson for hitting him in the head with a golf club, which happens in the course of the episode. Bobby calls up Hank and he's like, dad, guess where I am? And Hank says to him, I don't know, crushing Dwight Yoakam's voice box with my five iron. <laughs> that <laughs> killed me. Good burn, Hank. Like, you know, God. it's. Oh. It was just like so out of nowhere, and it's much funnier if you know who Dwighty Yoakam is. So, <laughs> and that reminds me, there were a couple points in the episode where Hank uh, mentions he has like a recurring Willie Nelson dream. Yeah, yes, and then, yeah, the, the version number three, where I forget what they're doing in that version. I think. Oh, uh, do you want to do you want to know? Yes. Could, did you write it down? Uh, yeah, they're in the process of uh, they're teeing off together, <laughs> where they both get uh, a hole in one. They are playing. <laughs> they are playing uh, guitar together. Yep. Uh, and uh, and then uh, through the course of this, they they crack open a cold beer together, and and this mirroring is perfect, especially because they have a shared catchphrase when the hole in one happens, where they both like simultaneously go dead solid perfect, yeah. <laughs> and then and then in this moment we get. Willie Nelson just looks at Hank as they're tuning their guitars and just goes, you know, Hank, I always really wanted to sell propane and propane <laughs> accessories. Yeah, exactly. Just validating Hank's, Hank's dream. life. <laughs> and so he's like, you know, but this this dang music thing just got in the way. All right, well, you know what? 
regardless, let's jam. And then they, they start, <laughs> start, they start, playing the start playing together. Uh, so I thought that that, oh. that mirroring and just that, that way of putting that and framing how much Hank thinks in, uh, how much Hank thinks about Willie Nelson is wonderful. I want to jump to the very end of the episode sure. and sort of the payoff that we have. Well, can, can uh, I just throw in one quick thing before we get to mm, that? No. Uh, come on, <laughs> yeah, dude. of course. We'll keep it on the outtakes. Uh, I just love the fact that they didn't make Willie Nelson like he wasn't like living in some palatial estate or anything. Mm. They, they actually played up to the fact that he had some issues with the IRS. Like that's yeah. part of Hank's reason that he like sees that Willie Nelson, his role model had issues and then kind of like plays that off. It's like, yeah, I had those similar issues one time too so it's totally like my role model and then they show willie nelson like in an rv outside yeah. of the gates of his his compound which is now owned by the irs yes. uh, i just love the fact that they didn't make him like godly right they, they right, him right. Real, like everybody they else. humanized him yeah. yes so i want to cut to the the very end of this episode where yep. we have this big payoff and you know we we have willie nelson as hank's hero and it takes a hero to recognize another hero in somebody's life. Yeah. And so in this moment, Willie is able to give Hank this, you know, sage advice saying, it looks like your boy is playing with your stuff and, and doing things that you do and, yeah. and emulating you in a lot of ways. He's like, I think he's already found a hero, you know? And, and uh, that's, that's kind of fun to see that, that, you know, weird moment between two men where suddenly one of them is just like, Oh, Oh shit! Like I never, I never thought of that before, yeah. and, and have that revelation because I, I can't. There are maybe a handful of cartoons that I can think that actually allow you to have that sort of deep sentimental moment between right. two people like that. But but this is great, you know, to to have that payoff, and it even goes a little uh, a step further, where uh, you you have Hank handing the guitar uh, oh, at the end right. to Bobby, and he's just like, "You play it," and and Bobby's even like amazed. He's like, "Are you sure?" And yeah. he's like, "Yes." That's a, a nice, so sweet. nice yeah. father-son moment that we we get and there. He's also going to patch things up with Peggy because he was playing her song that he wrote right. back in the day, which was kind of nice too. Mm -hmm. And a quick shout out to the mid to late '90s Game Boy. Had to throw oh yeah, yeah, that was so great. And Willie was playing it when Bobby it showed was. up, and Bobby had to help him out with something. Yeah, it, it's nice to see that because he was playing some golf game. Yeah. Oh, and so it was like where the like the meter was going up and down, exactly. where like wherever you make the swing, he's like, yeah, you got to hit it like right at this certain point. Willie's like, thank you. Yeah. Uh, it, it's always funny to see. Like I, I, I'm a big gamer. I know Dave is a gamer. Isabel, I don't know. No, no, no. not a gamer at all. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm always. Uh, it becomes one of those points. Where whenever I see somebody playing games or like whenever I talk about video games with somebody where I'm just like, oh, like we now have this like shared experience that's super right. fun to talk about, especially when you walk in on somebody playing it and it's sort of like a delightful surprise and you just sit there and you're just like, oh, let's like, let's hunker down on this Game Boy now. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> with, my, with my four AA batteries in the back yeah. of it causing it to weigh eight <laughs> pounds. Yeah. thing was so heavy. So anything else that you can think about from this episode. I know we're running a little short on time yeah. and I want to get to Luann's saga. Uh, any final thoughts about Hank's Got the Willies, Isabel? Mm, no, I just, I think the show constantly strikes that balance between, I mean, you guys have used the word like sentimental, mm -hmm. um, but I don't think it ever gets like mawkish. You know, right. it never gets too sentimental um, because it's so funny. But to me, the show is like 50% heart, 50% laughs or something, some ratio like that. Yeah. And I think it's very special and it's a very fine line. And I think it's thanks to Mike Judge's like 
uh, satire that he never lets it get a grossly sweet, you know? Right. Well, look, and here's a, here's a great line to wrap that all up. The one other thing that I kind of liked from this episode, which was great, by the way, uh, it's when they're trying to find a role model for Bobby and Bill, sweet, sad sack Bill, suggests Santa Claus. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's like that's such right. a hilarious, but also like, oh, kind of sweet sentimental thing because everybody yeah. else is like, no. Santa Claus is for children, you idiot. Like, just stop. Like, I appreciate it, but please stop. Just go <laughs> golf and speed it up. Santa Claus. So I, I, two lines from Dale that are almost back-to-back, okay. one of which I can start seeing myself quoting on an everyday occurrence, <laughs> no. which is, uh, I was a nose hair away from achieving inner peace. Yep. <laughs> right. When he kicks the car to stop the, the mm-hmm. alarm. Yep. And then uh, when they're asking about the, the military... Uh, like the helicopters, helicopters yeah. right? And he, they say, like, you know, where did you find out about it on the internet? And he goes, alt dot conspiracy dot black dot helicopters. <laughs> I was like, what kind of dark web bullshit is that? I love it. Oh wow, progressive getting into the, the getting old... into a Tor browser before it was even a yeah, the old alt net, the old alt net, yeah. <laughs> Oh God, it's always funny to see that shit. So let's let's move on to uh, season one, episode five, yeah. Luann's Saga. So mm-hmm. this immediately followed the episode that we had just previously watched. Right. Um, and so Isabel, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, main takeaways, impact, ideas that it had from that episode. Well, kind of like the one preceding it, which was like mostly Hank and Bobby's relationship. This one gets to focus on Hank and his niece Luann's relationship, and. Uh, it's, it's a different relationship because, you know, Hank doesn't consider himself her father, obviously. So he feels less responsibility to her and less of a closeness to her. Um, but the ending of this episode makes me cry because it's so sweet. And so my main takeaway is just um, kind of Hank is starting to embrace the role of dad to Luann a yeah. little bit. Right. It was Dave? interesting because there was some uh, some like kind of awkward relationshipy stuff kind of going on at the same time you weren't quite sure where the show was going to go with it but ultimately it was about hank being awkward to begin with mm-hmm. kind of coming to grips with the fact that he essentially has a daughter in his house that he kind of has to like be a father figure for and him figuring that out and also him thinking that he kind of one up to peggy and her yes. advice and then just got burned to the ground <laughs> by her fantastic i, I love that and when an animation uh, when an animated show pushes kind of boundaries and, and, and storytelling decisions by stepping outside of their normal and doing something slightly different. So to set this up, essentially Peggy gave Hank advice about dealing with uh, Luann after a bad breakup. And then Hank tries to do that, but then try And then he's like, nope, that doesn't work. I'm going to do my own Hank thing and just be damned the consequences. And Peggy finds out eventually and she's just like, listen. <laughs> and then just like tears him down. But the animation at the same time sort of like plays through this like this like t- this uh, like history timeline of like women's <laughs> struggles and uh, mm. things that they overcome and ways that they learn how to function in, in a society driven by like men and how to uh, exist in relationships and like all kinds of just crazy stuff that just like essentially is taking place in her mind but you mm-hmm. actually get to see it play out on the show. And I thought that was a fantastic decision. That was really cool. I, I think the big thing for me from this episode, uh, I mean, I agree with both of you about these main takeaways. The additional thing that I loved about this is that there were so many weird random lines. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, again, the the strength of the writing that's in here. And so the the whole idea that Dave has kind of already put forth is Peggy 
telling Hank that he has three words that he has to say to her at any random time, you know, to get over this breakup with Buckley. You just have these three words that you have to say, which are, you look pretty. (laughs) And it's funny to say this because he does it at like the absolute worst, (laughs) most inopportune time when Luann is crying, she is a mess, and he's just like, you look pretty. And just kind of, he's like, while, while he's watching like a, how to make a steak show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and he had of... that funny line about don't turn that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. So the, the, the fact that he's commenting on a, a steak show that's going on, he's like, no, like, you know, it's, I don't know why my Hank Hill is like, Oh no, that's an it. old man. That's not, it. It's no. not good. Uh, <laughs> but it's, the, the, you look pretty, it gets done at like the worst possible time. But like this, this interaction where he is beginning to understand sort of the, you know, that he is becoming a father figure to Luann is really great. Like they have these moments of them like eating cookie dough. Yes. Yeah, that was and <laughs> I love the, I love the part where <laughs> Luann even goes up and I love the fact that Luann brings up the point, you know, they make ice cream that has cookie dough and he's like, to the car, <laughs> yeah, <he's laughs> get right. the keys, get my keys. Let's go. <laughs> you know, they, uh, you know, the the fact that he gives her, like, the advice that he gives her is, and, and this is just for me being raised Catholic, you know, where he's just like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta push those feelings down into the pit of your stomach and, like, and not, not talk about them. And, and, you know, and she's like, you know, am I supposed to feel weird yeah. or kind of queen? He's like, yeah, then you gotta push those feelings down too. Yep. But it's what's like, so great about Ooh. that is they keep coming back to that, especially right. with, like, the, the male relationships with other men. Yes. When they, like, have awkward moments and they have to get over it to to maintain their friendship they don't you know they're not crying they're not hugging it out they're not broing it out they just swallow it down but the fact that both of them literally swallow it down at the same time yeah it's just like yeah. okay we're cool we're both again like, it, really it's, suffering it's, inside but we're fine we we had mirroring between hank yeah. and willie nelson and now we have this mirroring again between mm. hank and luann that is so fun to see so i think probably my favorite moment of everything is the sequence that happens when they go line dancing okay. to this country uh, music bar, and you have like the 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 HBO's entourage gets together outside in the parking lot, and they're like, <laughs> "We have to figure out how to find yeah yeah." No. No, yeah, there you go. There uh, so they I did it. Uh, so they they had to figure out like a guy that now Luann right. uh, can date, and and you know in this moment, uh, like. Hank's on like dude patrol yeah. and, and Dale is out there and he's making his, his uh, round muscular butt comment, you <laughs> know, where he's like ta- yeah, in a bathroom where he's talking oh, to somebody right. like in the bathroom yeah. next to each other at a urinal. Like, hey, you seem uh, like a normal guy into normal yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Want to get weird? And, you know, and so like, these things are kind of fun. You know, the fact that we have Hank walking around trying to look for this guy and he finds an all American football player named yeah. Wade. Mm-hmm. And so this again is, was a line that I would have never gotten as a kid, but Luann is excited about it, and she go and he's Hank is pumping her up about it and talking up Wade to the point where Luann just goes, "Let's get Wade," and I'm just like, "Oh my God!" They snuck in like a yep. "Let's get laid" yep. like <laughs> line in there, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" I, w- I would have never in a million years until now been able to recognize or get that, and so that was super fun, but it goes awry because yeah. Wade gets handsy. Luann is strong enough of a of a character to say no to this. She ends up getting a ride home with Boomhauer, which Hank completely misconstrues, melts yep. down. Yeah. You know, Boomhauer is just being a nice person yep. and giving her a ride home. This goes horribly awry 
Luann moves in and this becomes that weird kind of jealousy, uh, you know, father-daughter relationship yeah. dynamic that he's coming to realize. Uh, it's and, also and, important to point out too that basically the, the premise of this is that Hank wants Luann and her mess out of his den. Because it's it's right. cramping his style. He likes to go to his den and just look at the things that he owns. Yes, <laughs> that's it. Like that's all he wants to do. So it, it's important to mention that because of the way it all kind of ends up. But she, and yeah, she leaves and goes to chill with Boom Boomhauer for a while. I think one of the during this during the conversation being misconstrued between Hank and Boomhauer. I love that Boomhauer has one line and goes, I ain't no Woody Allen with that sous vide. Oh, and I was like, what? Soon Yi, I think. But yeah. was, oh, Soon Yi? The very different interpretation, whether it's yeah. his like, yeah. adopted daughter or <laughs> it's a type of cooking. Or it's a method of uh, stuff, yeah. it's like a culinary <laughs> technique. <laughs> one of the two. Either Makes one. a little more sense with Soon Yi. Because sure. we're, we're ending this podcast <laughs> and we're starting a podcast on how to better sous vide. <laughs> Which is just water recirculation, guys. But let's get it down. The title yeah. of it is going to be Soon Yi or Soon. Oh, Soon Yi. <laughs> and every every episode, we'll talk about one thing, and you have to write in and tell us: Which is it Soon Yi or is it Soon It's going to be fun. Yeah, or disastrous. <laughs> Do you guys have any other final? Th- I've got a couple things that I just like, just like one-offs from this episode that I wanted to mention. But because Isabel suggested this, both of these episodes for us, mm-hmm. which were great. Anything else that you wanted to make sure to like drive home the point on? Well, like you guys mentioned the idea of eating one's emotions. And I liked that uh, toward the end of the episode, Peggy calls Hank out on it. Like she knows him well <laughs> enough that when he's like, I think he's using a leaf blower to clean up the den and get rid of all of Luann's things. And she hears him kind of making a sound like, ooh, ooh. and she's like, Hank, are you eating your emotions? And he's like, I don't know, maybe, who cares, whatever. Um, <laughs> but this is that man way of dealing with stuff. And but it's also funny to track over the course of the episode, Hank goes from talking about Luann as not my daughter, not my daughter, to once she's at Boomhauer's, he's hanging out with Bill and Dale, and they're saying something about like, oh, she's out of your hair. And he's like, well, she's basically my daughter. So it's like he has that mental switch. And then at the end, she comes over to pick up her stuff. And uh, Hank says, oh, your stuff's in your old, you know, the den. And she looks sad to go get it. Yeah. And then the reveal that all her stuff is laid out the way it was and the bed is open and, you know, he's happy to have her back. That's the part that made me cry. And it's, again, sweet without being too sentimental. And uh, I don't know. I just loved it. Well, and it made Luann cry, too, which was, again, hilarious way to, like, relieve that tension. Because the problem oof, with Hank was that she was crying the entire episode because of her breakup with Buck. Yeah. But now she's super happy to be welcomed back into the family and not rejected by Hank. So she's crying again. And yeah. He's just like, oh. But uh, the the one thing that almost that like really hit me, and this is because I'm essentially a robot person, but because oh. when Peggy said to Hank, like, you can deal with fixing carburetors and uh, what what did she say? Like something, some other car part. She says you can deal with them because they don't talk back and they don't mm-hmm. have feelings and they're not other people that are going to be super complicated. And I was just like. Yeah, he's right. I took Hank's side. I'm like, yeah, he's right. Those those things don't talk back. They don't have feelings. They're much easier to deal with. And I was like, I'm with Hank on this one. And then the end of it kind of like got me. I was like, oh crap. So that was that was good. That's cool. Yeah. You just gotta you gotta control alt delete and just shut down Dave, restart him again. Oh. Yeah, just leave me. Just just let me stay offline for yeah. a while. Make sure he's at least in like in a li- line of sight with you know whatever your router is at that point. <laughs> <laughs> gotta gotta update that firmware. Yeah, just run my updates every once in a while. 
<laughs> still waiting for the latest patch to download. Oh, oh, man. Anything guys, else? Yeah, or... I have a couple just like funny, goofy things. Yeah, mm-hmm. jump into it. Random stuff. And this is the kind of stuff they throw in all the time. Bobby just licking a plate full of syrup before they put the pancakes on it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. What? Like, so good. Uh, Hank. I do that as an adult. Oh, exactly, so right? Hank saying about uh, this dude that he found at the bar, like, that Luann should be happy because football players know how to treat women right. Oh. Pretty Christian. good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then and then a great kind of like layered also pop culture reference was we, we only briefly mentioned this. Dale and his wife have a son, but that son is illegitimate and it is from his wife's uh, affair with a Native American gentleman by the name of John Redcorn. Dale mm-hmm. is completely oblivious to this mm-hmm. by his own choosing or or not. But uh, the fact that as all this drama is kind of going on in the street, Dale comes out or he's standing outside and just like his underwear or whatever. And he's just like, damn it, this neighborhood is turning into Melrose Place. So that's funny as a pop culture reference. But then the fact that the camera pans and so shows John Redcorn <laughs> jumping out of the window to get out of the yeah. house was a great extra stinger. And they throw stuff like that in all the time. I loved it. They do. I forgot to mention in the very first pilot episode of the show, um, in the cold open, they're standing around drinking beer and Hank t- starts talking about how he's upset because he missed Seinfeld last night. Mm. And this is the very first episode. So they're kind of like relating their show to Seinfeld. Yep. And Boomhauer goes, oh, those New York City boys, dangles show about nothing. And then the credits start. Exactly. And that's like the very first episode. <laughs> cool. So, like yeah. Yeah, because I mean, there were so many Seinfeld episodes that I can remember where Jerry continually talked about his narrow urethra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's a great plot point. <laughs> I love right. it though because King of the Hill is like Southern Seinfeld. That's interesting. Yeah, look at it that way. It's like hmm. yeah, it's Southern. Animated. It is a show about Seinfeld. nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, about Luann Saga, any any final thoughts? Good for me. All me right. Too. Hey, guess what? Yeah, you listening right now? Turns out you have opinions on this show too, uh, and you put them on the internet and oh, you post boy, them on stuff. You? Yeah, boy, did you? And then we go around <laughs> and we we find them, and so we want to honor uh, your opinion. So we are going to turn this now over to longtime listener and friend of the show, Bobby Anthem, for this week's Love It or Hate It. Bobby, take it away. Our Love It This Week was written by Kapil Kulkarni 81 on August 18th, 2005, who rated the show 10 out of 10 and titled the review, An Excellent Change from Everything Else. It says, although we don't get this show in India, I managed to get a couple of episodes from the net. Let me tell you. This is a fine show. It deals with an upright, honest, and sometimes down-on-his-luck propane salesman from Texas, Hank Hill, and his quirky friends and family. But what makes this show different is that it does not have a frantic pace at which things take place. Although I thoroughly enjoy The Simpsons and Family Guy, yet these shows have everything happening at a breakneck speed. The gags, the animation, etc., King of the Hill somehow has a certain calmness to it. It deals with real people, five fingers, not four, and fairly real situations. It always puts a smile on my face, and it's nice to hear Hank's pearls of wisdom. It was a pleasant surprise coming from the creators of Beavis and Butthead. I definitely recommend this show. Two thumbs up. And our Hate It was written by G. Washington 1732 on March 5th, 2008, who rated the show 1 out of 10 and gives you the entire series in 10 lines. It says, Hank sells propane. He has trouble conceiving. 
He wears square glasses and doesn't get along with Asians. That boy ain't right. Peggy is a boggle champion who likes to be artistic. That boy ain't right. He has annoying neighbors. One of his neighbor's son is illegitimate. That boy ain't right. He has a hippie niece who loses her hair in a propane explosion. That goes on for a while. That boy ain't right. His octogenarian military dad has a son with some woman. That boy ain't right. He has an old dog named Ladybug or something like that. And he's obsessed with his truck and propane. That boy ain't right. 10,000. That's pretty much everything that's ever happened in the series. So now there's no reason to watch it. Awesome. Bobby, awesome as always. Uh, I have I have a 10-line review for Bobby Anthem, which is Bobby is amazing. And you just say that then nine more times, and, and that's then, 10. And then if you do it while looking in a mirror, he shows up in your house. <laughs> oh, God. And he's covered in blood. <laughs> I got dark. Why? <laughs> because of the Bloody Mary thing. Remember from when you were little? I just wanted Bobby to show up, just hang out and eat Pringles. Just hang out and eat Pringles with us. But apparently it's oh, a blood man. sacrifice. Oh, so. bloody Mary. Sorry, Bobby. So much. Oh, man. All right. So uh, so we've had a chance to hear about people on the internet and their opinions about this show. And so now we want to go around and we want to get everybody's recommendation. And so we want to know if you recommend this show. And if you do not recommend this show, you get to give it the dip from Who Framed Roger Rabbit and it erases it from the annals of cartoon history forever. And so, Isabel, do you recommend King of the Hill? I recommend it so highly, as highly as one can. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Dave, yeah. recommend or dipping? Yeah, 100% recommend. I mean, this is the rare show, I think, for us that actually seemed to get better 20 years after watching it originally, yeah. which is weird. I don't know if that It's like a cartoon fine wine. Mm. Yeah, it's exactly sort of like that. Yeah. But no, 100% recommend it. I would say go back and just watch them again. Because you probably will pick up on a lot of stuff that you didn't watching it back in the day. Right. I will 100% recommend this as well. Uh, I think that as for all the same reasons that Dave has mentioned, I'll say the only bummer is is I'm trying to find this on streaming services yeah. to be able to binge, and it it's not readily available. So uh, if you're a cord cutter uh, like myself and you are trying to find places to uh, to stream this uh, let me know because uh, i'd love to find it on a site that's not going to give my computer a virus you can borrow my dvds if can, you want. Oh, can i oh thank you awesome yeah i'd like to do that as a side uh, note the links that i sent sean probably gave him a virus uh -oh. probably gave me a virus <laughs> that's okay all right so we are at the end isabel we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and for being here with us today thank you again uh we want to give uh, an opportunity for, for you to plug anything that you might have coming up, as well as also, if you would like to, uh, where may people find you on social media? Um, well, I'm so happy to have been on this episode. I uh, This is a show that not enough people watch, you know, as we kind of mentioned, so I never, ever get to talk about it. So this was just a thrill. And um, uh, I guess I can say that I, I'm performing with Madeline. Um, I think our next show is until Sunday the 25th-ish, and then we'll be performing every Sunday night for the next few weeks after that um, through Washington Improv Theater with dc.org. And awesome. I, I don't like social media, so <laughs> I don't skip who, that. Who does? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, as for me, uh, I perform at Washington Improv Theater uh, with a different group uh, that is called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. You can find tickets and times with dc.org. 
And as always, I'm on the TERS and the IGs Damn. at Sean Paul Ellis. I know Dave hates I'm it, never but Dave, what do you like that? What are you up to, buddy? You can find me on the tur, I guess, at Dr. Yeah, Claw MD. There you go. I steer clear of the IG. But you can find the IG. Oh, God, I can't even, like, it's not even natural for me. To talk about That's a this. good thing. Uh, you can also find me on collider.com, nerdist.com, and davetrumbore.com. If you want to find out more about this little show right here, you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Saturday Morning Cartoons. Remember, that's morning with a U. You can also follow us along on our website, SaturdayMorningCartoons.com. Check us out on Twitter, at MorningTunes. Take a look at Sean's handiwork on his IG, I guess. Keep the conversation going on Facebook, and listen to our free audio podcast each and every week through YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. As always, if you want to drop us your best Boomhauer lines, you can do so through SaturdayMorningCartoons at gmail.com. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Once again, Isabella, thank you so much for joining us and bringing this cartoon to our attention and bring it back to the masses as well. We really do appreciate it. And thanks so much for like the heartfelt stories too. This was a, it was a oh, nice good. way to tie in the sillier side of the cartoon with the actual sentimental side of it too. So fantastic. Definitely. Thanks. Awesome. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. As far as what's coming up next time on Saturday Morning Cartoons, you're going to have to head on over to Patreon to find out. If you subscribe to our newsletter, we'll give you a heads up each and every month about what cartoons are coming up in the next few weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.